You're listening to the Northwestern Campus Ministry Podcast from Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. Northwestern Campus Ministry exists to send students out as those rooted, built up, and established in Christ for God's glory and for the sake of the world. Thanks for listening and enjoy this recent message from our Christian Formation Program. You guys can have a seat, and as you do, would you join me in welcoming up one of our professors of biblical and theological studies, Dr. Cambria Kaltwasser. Thank you. Well, those of you who've been attending our chapel series this winter on the Apostles' Creed regularly know what to expect here You know that we've been having a running gag every Friday that was started by Professor Vonderbrugge, copied by Professor Andres, and given its title by Professor Mead. It's Star Wars. Well, excuse me, that's Movie Star Wars. If you haven't been attending these chapels, then let me catch you up to speed. You see... When Professor Vonderbrugge reported to us that his students in the past had been known to compare him to Indiana Jones, <laughs> Professor Andres couldn't let the opportunity slip past without pointing out that he had a Hollywood twin who is the action movie star Bruce Willis. That resemblance is striking, isn't it? Well, this had Professor Mead in a tailspin of distress, as many of us witnessed here a few weeks back, because with no celebrity double, he could only compare himself to the faceless Northwestern College avatar, which led him to contemplate a life of crime. (laughs) Don't worry, we in the BTS department are straightening him out. Haven't completed the work yet, but... We're hopeful. Finally, um, Vice President Finney did the clever thing and turned to artificial intelligence so that he could state on the basis of undeniable evidence that he is our campus embodiment of Vin Diesel. (laughs) So where does this leave me? Um, Who is my Hollywood lookalike or twin? Um, To answer that question, I began searching my memory for anyone I'd ever been compared to. And finally, you know, something came to my mind. And I want to tell you now a completely true story. Once, (laughs) this is a true story, once during grad school, I was living in New Jersey, I was shopping at a Sam's Club, Doing what you do at a Sam's Club, you know, buying a 10-gallon jar of pickles, perhaps. (laughs) When a stranger walked up to me, looked at me intently, she leaned in and asked, Is your name Amanda? No, I replied. No, my name is not Amanda. Then she looked at me closer, and finally she said, You look exactly like Amanda Peet, you know, the actress. Can you see it? There's something, it's mostly in the hair though, if I'm being honest. I responded, no, I am not Amanda Peet. 
and I wished the woman a good day. But I felt a little bad about it. Here is a woman who thought that she had discovered Amanda Peet among the 10-gallon pickle jars at Sam's Club in New Jersey. (laughs) And that if she asked my first name, she might catch her celebrity. I almost wish that I had said, yes, yes, I am Amanda. You found me. But I actually don't want to claim Amanda Peet as my personal celebrity muse. Um, as Dr. Vonderbrugge reminded our department, it's not always about looks. He never claimed to look like Harrison Ford. I have a different muse. So now I want you to wind the clock back with me to three years ago, February of 2020. Something marvelous happened to me on campus that I recorded in a Facebook post. I said, it's been a long week, but yesterday, after my presentation on women in the Bible, someone told me that I have a Greta Gerwig vibe. So basically, I'm hashtag winning. I mean, how much better can you get than the elegant and talented Greta Gerwig? Sure, we don't look so much alike. Our hair is completely different. And leaving aside the small thing of her directing and acting talent, you know. um, But still, I do share her imposing height. (laughs) And I share her excessively long arms with sleeves that never quite cover our wrists. Um, And maybe there is a little bit of a similarity in our face structure. But none of that matters, friends, because I have her vibe, and no one can take that away from me. Okay, so today I have to transition to this topic, Christ's return as judge. How am I supposed to do that? And what does Greta Gerwig have to do with Christ's return as judge? Friends, I think I can actually make this leap. Because you see, Greta's latest movie was White Noise. The theme of this movie, which I recommend to you, is existential dread. It's about impending doom and fear about how all of this goes down. Which leads us to ask, What do Christians have to say about how all of this goes down? Is there a place for dread? And what do we put our hope in? Well, this series is on the Apostles' Creed. And my colleagues have taken you through the first article of the Creed and half of the second. Dr. Finney left us with Christ's death. And then we, this morning, will pick it up from here with these sentences. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. There are actually three doctrines or teachings that are folded into these three sentences. There's a lot here. First, we have the resurrection. 
and then Christ's ascension, and then last of all, Christ's return as judge. This morning, I'm going to focus on the first and the third of these. And the third is actually going to be my guiding theme. So you might think, what a downer. We're going to focus on judgment. And I am going to try to convince you that it's not a downer. The Heidelberg Catechism poses the question for us um, quite provocatively. In question 52, it asks, How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? Just look inside your own faith. How does that comfort you? What is comforting, you might ask, about judgment? Or we could put it differently. Do Christians hope for judgment? In my remaining time this morning, my challenge is to tell you and to convince you that the answer is yes, absolutely, and so should you. Today I'm going to talk about hope, judgment, and resurrection. And I want to show you that these three themes are actually tightly tied together. And if we would fully understand any one of them, we would need the other two. So first, hope for judgment. Um, So I first want to say, in the Old Testament scriptures, there is nothing like a full-blown hope for a life with God after death. In the Old Testament, for the most part, death is the end of human life. Death represents the limit. The psalmist laments that no one can praise God from the grave. No, the dead aren't doing anything but being dead. So it is for this life that God's people have hope and that they, put their pl- they place their trust in God, their liberator. And they hope for God's fulfillment of God's promises to Israel the promises of restoring Israel to their land and allowing them to flourish and for restoring justice to the land. But of course, what we see again and again in the Old Testament is that God's people aren't flourishing because both because of their own failures and the sinfulness of their kings and judges and because of their oppression at the hands of much larger, greater nations. Generations then live and die without ever seeing the fullness of God's promises. Their hope is for a just judge. A judge is someone who upholds the law. A judge is not in the first place someone who gives a sentence. That's only one of a judge's duties. They're uh, Their place, their solemn duty is to uphold uh, justice. They are someone who ensures that the cause of each person is heard. That no matter how little or poor you are, how um, little uh, influence or how small your voice is, that you are dealt with with dignity, that you are seen. So the coming of a just judge is the cause for hope. Someone who 
sets right the cause of those that has, has not been seen, that has been perverted. So I want to bring this closer to home by um, having you think about something that many of you are more familiar with, perhaps, and that's competitive athletics. So I'm not, to be honest, I'm not a very athletic person, but I know that many of you are. And um, I do have a husband who um, is, a, is a big fan of various sports. And so think about the role of a referee in your game or any game that you enjoy. Although being a referee these days is one of the most thankless jobs, it seems, because there's always somebody to complain about the, the calls that you make, the judgments that you issue. Every mistake that you make is going to be pointed out and ridiculed. But then again, can you imagine a game without a referee? Um, think about how, um, how intense our games get, such as you know the World, Camp, uh, the World Cup Championship, and think about what would happen if there were no one to make the calls to make those judgments when things are, are close, to give it to one side or the other. What would happen if there were no referee? Each side would be pressing their own advantage at every turn. No one would call things for the other side. Um, no one would ever give way to their opponents. I think the violence would likely break out in our most competitive games. So we know that we, we need the referee. We need the person who upholds uh, the fairness of the game, who sees to it that justice is done, that both sides are given their due. Even if we haven't seen a perfect referee and we haven't seen a perfect judge among human beings, um, we know that to, to have a truly just judge is a very good thing and something that the world needs. We can think of much more difficult situations in this world um, other than athletics, and we can recognize that this world needs a just judge. I think about um, the situation in Ukraine when a stronger nation crushes its weaker neighbor simply because it can. And I think this world is in need of a just judge. I often think about the um, American Olympic gymnasts who were abused by their own doctor, and that abuse was covered up by our U.S. gymnast uh, committee for a long time until justice finally came to light. We need a judge who sees the cause of those who no one sees in this world. Reverend Fleming Rutledge reminds us that a world without justice would actually be a world of impunity. It would be hell. That's exactly what it would be. So Israel hoped for a just judge, and I need to bring this back to resurrection. Um, toward the end of the, of the Old Testament, there are hints that maybe there, there could be a life beyond the grave. It's nothing like a full-blown doctrine in the Old Testament. It's, it's only um, hints and foreshadowing. But in the time between our testaments, there, there grows a, a more solid hope among the Jews that there will be a resurrection. 
Their hope for resurrection was in part based on their hope for justice. If generations live and die and never see the fulfillment of God's promises, if the wicked prosper and the case of the orphan and the widow is perverted, how is God going to make right? How is God going to fulfill what God has promised? A resurrection, a final resurrection, bodily resurrection, was thought to be a one-time event that would be God's coming to live with God's people, raising up the righteous to vindicate them in the face of their enemies, and perhaps also a raising up of the wicked so that they would receive justice from God as well. So Israel's hope for a just judge is actually tightly bound to their hope for resurrection. And then this marvelous event happens. Jesus' resurrection from the grave. This throws all the categories um, in different relationships with each other. Because nobody, what nobody ever expected is that one person would come back from the dead. They expected a final resurrection with all the righteous raised. But here now Jesus appears he, he has died, the tomb is empty, and he appears. He still has his wounds, the disciples touch him, he's in the flesh. When Jesus rose again, that happened against the backdrop of Israel's rising hopes for a final resurrection. Again, the surprising thing is that one single individual, this Jesus, has come back from the grave ahead of the rest. So it says in Colossians, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And I love that passage. And how often have you thought about what it actually means? He's been born from the dead. So a second birth, a birth now from from the grave. And that he's the firstborn implies that he will have siblings, that we are his younger siblings that are to be born back from the dead at the final resurrection. So Christian hope has always been for a bodily resurrection, a future resurrection for all of us, and it's completely based on Jesus' own resurrection. And that is our hope. Um, I can't go to all the points that I was planning to go to this morning, but I, I think I'm getting across to you the theme in general that resurrection and hope for God's just judgment, they are closely tied together. And our hope is for a world in which um, truth, the truth will come to light, which will, include, which will include some accounting of our own. We also are to be judged according to the New Testament but that we can have hope. And according to the Heidelberg Catechism, I should end with this. Um, We can have comfort in Jesus' return as judge because in all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the whole curse from me. 
So a judge who was willing to experience the full weight of God's judgment, that is a judge that I trust, a judge that I would put my life into his hands. Thank you. I would like to now send you off with a blessing on this Friday. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.